Welcome to the Women Who Code podcast. Whatever product you have, get 20 customers, whatever, literally build a spreadsheet, do the lean startup, prove it to yourself, and then you sell the shit out of that story and you walk into an investor's office or angel, whatever, get your introductions and you walk in there like you own the world. In the Women Who Code Career Nav segment of our show, you'll hear real world advice from people who are currently working in the technology industry and personally know the steps needed to succeed. These talks will include both career advice as well as a look at the industry itself and its practices. So we have with us here today, uh, Shadia Sigala and Claire Schmidt, um, both very accomplished ladies, and I think you're gonna get to know them and their businesses a bit more today. Um, <clears throat> So Shadia has scaled uh, two tech companies from the ground up. At HoneyBook, she grew the company from 120 employees and 70 million in venture funding. Now as the CEO of Kinside, she's gone through Y Combinator and raised 4 million from initialized and other elite investors. Um, she notes that as a first gen immigrant and college goer, she has a unique lens on playing and thriving in a traditionally white man's club. Uh, Claire is also extraordinarily accomplished, the founder and CEO of All Voices, a reporting and communication tool that enables employees to speak up safely about workplace issues. Before founding All Voices, Claire served as VP of Tech and Innovation at 20th Century Fox and led social impact at Thrive Market. Uh, the list of her accomplishments goes on. I think we'll, we'll use that as sort of a, a launching point for our conversation today. Um, and my name's Naomi Freeman. I'm going to be just moderating the chat. I'm a Women Who Code Leadership Fellow, and I'm really excited to see how this goes. So my first question for both of you is sort of, you've got businesses and they're doing a great job and it's amazing. You're kind of, you know, at the top of your game. How, how do you make an idea or like get started? Like what was step one where you were suddenly like, you know, uh, today's the day I want to X. So maybe you could tell us a little bit more about your business and kind of where that idea came from. Sure. Shadia, do you want to go first or you want me to? All righty. Let's go since you're throwing me in there. So, so first, <laughs> hi everyone. Thank you so much for having me for full disclosure. Claire and I, um, know each other for a while back and, um, and I'm also an advisor in her company, all voices. And so I'm a huge fan. Um, and I've seen this company grow tremendously. Um, so the, the interesting thing is, uh, I'll, I'm going to say one thing for the both of us. We are not traditional tech founders, but then I'll bring it back to me. So I'm, as, as Naomi mentioned, I'm a first gen, um, Latina. I was born in Mexico. I came here, grew up in the U S, uh, you know, poor. Um, and, uh, so I just want to say like, there is no one path to have, you know, being at the top of your career as Naomi said in tech. Um, but of course I also want to acknowledge that there is a lot of, um, privilege in um, that I and I think Claire that Claire and I have, which is we have, you know, pedigreed backgrounds who went to Ivy League schools um, and we have incredible networks. But all that is to say is that um, there's no one path and really no one moment that one decides I'm going to be the a tech founder of a venture backed um, company. Um, I that's obvious. Um, but the moment of like when when you realize that you want to start something new, you know, this is so Kinside is my second tech company. Naomi, you asked me to just 
briefly introduce what Kinsight is. Kinsight is a child care app for working parents. I'm a mother of two, so add that to the cauldron in the mix of non-traditional um, tech CEO. And um, when I was uh, founding my first company, HoneyBook, which is a really late stage, um, awesome venture back company, um, I became a mom. And so, so like, like so many things that we all choose to invest our time and it usually comes from a need um, that we have or a spark that we have in our personal lives. And for me, it was, it was, um, it was having a career as a tech founder one time, going off, having a baby, which is for me experiencing the most universally leveling thing of all life, which is going into parenthood, we're all the same, right? Like no one's prepared, everything's hard. Um, postpartum gets you one where like it might get you, it might not get you, it doesn't matter what um, station in life you are. And so for me, that, that ultimate leveling my company, I thought, oh my gosh, if this experience is incredibly hard for me, literally finding a childcare, a daycare or a nanny to leave my child, my, my newborn, right? Because also like we are leaving newborns in the hands of others was incredibly difficult. So for me, I, I looked at uh, well, uh, how we could support employees in the organization in their working parenthood status and specifically in childcare. And when I went out to look for a product in the marketplace, you know, basically a childcare benefit, like an employee benefit, um, I found that there was really nothing out there available in the modern sense. So that for me was a spark for then um, launching Kinside. That's awesome. Um, I love to hear your story, Shadia, because I think it's just so inspiring for you to have been in, you know, we're the same age and you've already been through this now twice. So um, super impressive to hear about kind of where you started and all the things that you've done. And one of the reasons that I wanted Shadia as my advisor is that she was actually the chief people officer at HoneyBook. So she was thinking every day about how to make work work for people. So it's one mm -hmm. of the reasons you're so qualified to be an advisor to us and also to start this company. So I just wanted to give you a Thank little you. shout out there. Um, so my background is also non-traditional. I never expected to start a tech company. Um, I started my career in management consulting, and then I went into the nonprofit world. And I actually spent five years working with Ashton Kutcher and Demi Moore, helping them build um, tech tools to combat child sex trafficking. So yes, there was a tech component to it, but and it was really a tech product organization, but I was in nonprofit um, pretty happily. And I kind of thought I would stay there forever. Um, but what I really realized over the course of my career, um, some of which Naomi spoke about, is that I actually just like solving problems. I like identifying issues, identifying spaces um, where there are problems to be solved, and then kind of going in and figuring out what the solution is. And so that's been a thread that's been consistent throughout my career. Um, and I was a vice president at Fox. Um, my title was VP of Technology and Innovation, and it was doing exactly that, finding problems and sort of broken systems within the Fox ecosystem. I worked for the CIO um, and trying to get a sense of how could we structure this better? How could we create a different process here? Um, and I was also on the Fox Culture Committee. So I was thinking a lot about the Fox culture and how the culture of um, the company could be improved. I think Fox, you know, like many legacy studios was starting to feel competition from Netflix and Amazon and these newer entrants into the space. And so they were trying to think through, like, what's our data strategy? How do we leverage new technologies like blockchain and AI? And um, so that was a lot of what I was tasked with doing. And 
while I was at Fox, kind of thinking every day about how to fix old systems, um, I read Susan Fowler's blog post about her experience at Uber. And it really struck me. I don't know how many of you were able to read it or just heard about kind of the fallout afterward. Um, but what really struck me is that we as a society are asking people in relatively vulnerable situations to kind of risk their careers in order to speak up about harassment, bias, mistreatment, bullying, these challenging situations they're experiencing in the workplace. We're just hoping they come forward. Um, we don't give them any promise of what's gonna happen next. We say, you know, you just have to come talk to somebody and we'll figure out what to do. Um, a lot of people end up, you know, being retaliated against, losing their jobs, um, being pushed out in some way. And so when I read Susan's story, which is really a story of bravery, um, I felt like we shouldn't be asking people to be brave in those situations. We should give them tools or processes or systems that enable them to speak up very easily in order to have their problems solved. And I kind of did a landscape analysis. And during this time, I actually talked to Shadia about like, what's out there? What could help streamline those processes and make it easier for employees to speak up and for companies to get information about, you know, really toxic things that are happening in their cultures every day. Um, and there, there are some tools out there, right? There's culture surveys um, on one end of the spectrum. There's whistleblower hotlines on the other end of the spectrum. Um, but it didn't seem like there's anything that people are actively using to speak up on a regular basis uh, to their company leadership about culture issues, um, bias, mistreatment, anything, you know, ranging from the kind of most subtle, like microaggressions, all the way up to, you know, severe sexual harassment. Um, so while I was at Fox, I, I started doing this research. I talked to a lot of people and realized there was really an opportunity to build something unique in this space. And that's uh, how All Voices was, was born. <clears throat> That's really extraordinary. It's a really extraordinary, um, I guess, timeline, like how these things move forward and how we we sort of crystallize from having this conversation um, with the folks around us into, you know, moving forward into, you know, products and into businesses. So for for you, and I'll post this sort of to Shadia afterwards, um, uh, are you selling this product directly to HR or are you, you know, who are you selling that to? What's that model kind of like? And then um, following Claire, Shadia, once um, she's finished, are, you know, can you talk a little bit about the unique challenges sort of in this space related to these kinds of products? Yeah, so Claire and I have uh, a shared audience member, and that is HR professionals um, and HR teams because they are the ones who are thinking about uh, both culture issues as well as benefits. And so, so, so Kinsight is distributed into companies as an employee benefit. So you like you can't go and find Kinsight today and log in. You have to be a participant in one of the companies that we partner with. And I want to say that that was very intentional because for us as a mission-based company, um, we actually believe that the employer-based system needs to be included in the conversation of childcare uh, because currently the equation is completely broken. Uh, the entire burden of childcare rests on the shoulders of parents and the childcare providers. Parents are spending between 20 and 30% of their household income on childcare and care, which is like we're broke. 
and childcare providers also can't can hardly make a living, right? Where and yet we're all putting our kids in childcare so we can go to work, and so a lot of the utility extracted from um, from employees goes to the employer-based system. And that's I'm not trying to vilify. I just want to make a distinction. I don't mean to vilify the employer-based system or capitalism. It's awesome, what have you. But the value chain is broken. And of course, I'm not even mentioning the role of government, which really should be the umbrella stakeholder here. But having said that, for us, it was really important that we mobilize the employer-based system to help us make sense and normalize the childcare industry and also really distribute the burden a little more equally. So it is, um, it's distributed via HR. Uh, I will say though, for those of you um, listening, a lot of folks reach out to me and probably declare uh, asking like, how do we sell to HR? How do you break into that? How do you do that successfully? Claire, Claire's company is incredible at selling direct to employer. Our model is a bit different. We actually go through um, benefits um, wholesalers and bigger distribution systems, which is a conversation maybe for for, for another point in time. Um, but just know that with that there, there is a left there is a layer above the direct to HR, and that's where we're that's what we're working on on the more business development um, top layer. Yeah, I'll just add to that. So we do sell the tool into HR, just like uh, Shadia. Um, mentioned and that has gone pretty well for us we have some great customers um, go you have a ton of great customers yeah, instacart electronic arts so we have some great um, customers many of whom have been our customers for years now um, and we're starting to see the sort of incremental benefit over time to having this data and having an understanding of patterns and trends related to their culture um, but the other thing I'll say is when we first started wanting to start this company, we were like, what about all the people who experience challenging things in the workplace, but aren't an actual employee? So this could be like contractors, freelancers. If you think about like actors on a movie set, there's so many people who are working, but don't have that typical, um, relationship with HR that we, that we think of when we talk about, you know, the workplace and HR. And so we decided early on that we're not going to make money on this other aspect of our business, um, but it's just something really important to fulfilling our social mission, which is that we wanted to have a tool that was available to anyone. And so in addition to the paid customers that we have on the B2B side, we also have a public website, which you can go to right now. It's allvoices.co and we're working on getting the .com. And um, basically, you can select the company that you want to submit a report to. It can be a report about any topic, ranging from like harassment to safety issues to culture, um, or it could be that you just have feedback. Maybe you quit a company and you really want them to know something about your experience there. Um, but in any case, you go to our site, you fill out a few structured questions, you give us the email address of the person that you want us to share it with, and we will pass that along for you. You'll be kept totally anonymous um, and we'll follow up with you to let you know if that person at that company has actually responded to you and you can engage in a back and forth um, anonymous conversation if you want to. That's really great. I think it's really important that you're covering all of those aspects because I think it is, it is true that um, often HR is sometimes stopping at the line with just employees proper. Um, one thing I'm curious about uh, as we kind of have moved into this interesting time this year in 2020 with COVID and other um, major events occurring, um, how is that, you know, is, are you finding there's an impact on 
business, positive or negative, because I could see how it could go either way, given the types of apps. And, you know, for each of you, what's kind of the largest challenge there and like the, the biggest opportunity kind of moving forward? Yeah, I think so. Um, so it's interesting. Uh, COVID has actually um, caused the usage of our tool to increase. So we saw a doubling in the number of reports from February of this year when COVID was not really a thing in the U.S. to March of this year. Um, so we saw that immediate spike. I think, you know, my hypothesis that that's um, for a number of reasons. One, we're in a really challenging job market now. And so people are even more concerned about the risks of speaking up about, you know, what's happening with them in the workplace, whatever that might be. Um, they don't they definitely don't want to lose their jobs right now because it's not a good time to lose your job. Um, they have probably more anxieties than ever. And those anxieties can fall into different categories, ranging from, you know, I'm dealing with childcare at my house now and I'm trying to remote work and it's not going well and I need more support in some way from my company or more accommodations, all the way to I'm going into, you know, workplace every day um, because I'm considered an essential worker and I don't necessarily have the equipment I need or people aren't following the safety regulations. So I just think like, whenever there's anxieties combined with more fear, um, there's going to be more usage of the tool. Um, mm -hmm. And then in recent days, so we have a diversity, equity, and inclusion module in our tool. And so we've seen how this movement has just taken over um, public consciousness right now, which I think is extraordinary. Um, and employees have opinions about how their company should move forward, how their company should respond um, both publicly and internally. And so we're seeing tons of reports about that in particular over the past few weeks. Um, so I think That's what's awesome. interesting to me is like this tool can be, uh, it's so flexible that it can be used for whatever is going on. There's going to be the next thing and the next thing. And um, the tool is just there for whatever employees are dealing with <laughs> in real time. And I think that's one of the the values of having it. Claire, that, that's that's actually super super interesting. It's a a tool is really a means to the end, right? And so I love that you think about it that was like a tool helps you to get to whatever construction you need to do or whatever you need to achieve. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, yeah, so similar. So look, everyone's been impacted by COVID. Our business included things. Um, you know, uh, the pace changed dramatically for us in terms of our customer usage because. We like what we do is we connect parents with child care centers. The child care centers are closed, so we're not connecting parents to them. Right? So that was just that's a given. We couldn't get around that. However, because we sell them to the into employers, um, guess who's super worried about their employees coming back or not coming back because child care centers are closed because they won't be reopening. That's employers. So as so, in fact, you know, the, I mean, the silver lining behind this is that is that is that at a higher level, the consciousness around child care. Um, as an essential need for our employees has been heightened. And so we have, we've actually seen a lot more movement, press, sales meetings, and deals than we ever have. Because again, uh, you know, I think what, what COVID exposed was just how fragile the, the childcare infrastructure is in the United States. Um, you know, you, you see children running around Zoom all day long as we all shelter in place, whether you're a frontline, whether you're, you know, on the customer support team or you're a senior leader in your company, the child's running around Zoom. And so this was just an ultimate equalizer. And I think it really brought to the surface that employers 
um, that they don't need a care in their hearts, like out of the kindness of their hearts, they actually need a care from, from a bottom line perspective because this has impact, impacted productivity. And we predict um, in a very doomsday way um, that there is going to be a, a second childcare crisis wave that's gonna hit us in the next three to six months as employers are, are, are ramping up their engines again and the employees are stuck without childcare because a lot of the centers and the daycares have gone out of business. And so there's gonna be a huge so for us, that's what we're coming in uh, to help uh, appropriately rebalance the market. Yeah, that's um, that's a really interesting point. And from my own perspective, just watching conversations and talking to senior engineer friends and things, um, I think men have realized in a bigger way uh, that children are everyone's mm -hmm. responsibility and that everyone at home is <laughs> <at> the desk. <laughs> um, so, I mean, that's I, I think it's just interesting across the board, kind of how the consciousness is shifting around that, given the current circumstances. Um, but you've both mentioned your you're both moms and running these these companies so outside of covid just you know in a really brief way um you know how does that sort of add to your experience um professionally and how does it sort of you know create some interesting uh challenges that you didn't anticipate <laughs> um i can start i mean so I have a seven month old um, and I guess outside of COVID, it's hard to separate from COVID because, you know, we had childcare from the very beginning and now, you know, we don't have childcare. And so um, I'm currently living with my parents and having my parents watch my child and I, my husband and I live with my parents. I haven't lived with my parents, you know, since I was 18. So um Luckily, I don't need to be physically in L.A. right now, which is where my company is. And so um, it's definitely like your business is your baby and your baby is your baby. And it's a very different relationship, obviously, you have with each of them. But you really have to take care of and protect both. Like I I'm this is not something that I recommend, but like I didn't take maternity leave because I was in the middle of fundraising. And so. Um, sometimes as a founder, as a female founder and someone who has a baby, like you don't have the same kind of experience that you might have when you're in a mature company and you have, you know, three months or four months of, of parental leave. Um, and while it's something I would really encourage for my employees to take, I just chose not to take it um, because of kind of where we are as a company. And so I think it's always a question of balance. It's always like I end up doing a lot of work in the evenings when she's asleep. Um, but I, I love my job and I love my kid. And so I'm willing to do it and happy to do it. I don't know if that answers your question, but that's kind of how I've been navigating it so far. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so Claire, I would like ditto everything that you just said. It's hard, like all the things, but I think, I think given the audience, I'm, I'm actually going to say something that is maybe you don't hear often. And I, I, I tell Claire this all the time, and I feel like I have to be like the public um, spokesperson of this. Um, for me, because I'm a mother of two kids, five, they're five and two. Um, and because when, when I was founding Kinside, I just had a, my second newborn um, literally breastfeeding through White Combinator. It was important that I get paid. And I just want to say, like, there is no shame in that game. Like, I had a family. I had a responsibility. 
Um, I had a mortgage. And so I absolutely needed to pay myself and I needed to have very structured working hours. And then I was very off, off my working hours. And so I afforded myself the, um, I had the privilege, but first of all, if you're a founder, you have the privilege of doing whatever you want to do. Now, circumstances might limit that. You might not have funding, you might not have revenue, but just remember, there are no rules and everything you read on blog posts is arbitrary. Like, oh, founders do this. You're supposed to work 100 hour weeks. You're supposed to not pay yourself. That is all arbitrary. And by the way, all that was written by the man's playbook, like, like, like young white programmer guy. So I paid myself from the beginning, which means I had to get funding. And even, even when I only had a little bit of funding from Y Combinator, I think they give you 150 grand. I paid myself something. And then when I got seed funding, I paid myself more and I paid myself a livable salary. Um, the, the second thing is, yeah, I don't, I don't work in the evenings. Oops, there I said it, right? Like I, I, I just like also just because I'm so tired, I'm exhausted. And so my nine to five is like intense. And that's also okay, right? I mean, this is also like I've, I'm, uh, I have some years professionally under my belt. This is my second startup. So I kind of maybe have a little bit of that privilege of having shortcuts built in. And so I am very um, selfish, if you will, about my resources, time, and money. Um, and I just wanted to say that to everyone. And I think it's so inspirational and you don't hear it often. And I have many conversations with Shadia about like, now that I raised my seed round, can I give myself a little raise? And she's like, of course. Like, are you and kidding like, me? <laughs> <laughs> she, she's uh, one of the rare people in this space who is very honest. And so I have to give <laughs> her credit. Yeah, no, I really appreciate that. And I mean, um, I have, I have founded, co-founded a company um, and had it at a certain stage and took it into the valley. And as a younger person with less experience, um, for sure there were many things that I wasn't sure what the right answer was. And like you're saying, um, these dudes have kind of written the playbook. So I really appreciate mm -hmm. both of you having the honesty and transparency right now to just, you know, say these sorts of things in this space. So I guess the other question I have that's kind of more on the, the business side of things is um, around finding support and help, um, raising funds. Uh, you know, maybe you can just let us know a little bit about how that starts. Like there's, you know, these conversations is like, oh, the first million is the hardest. So I guess I'm kind of interested in that space, how you get going, um, especially given, as you've said, you have non-traditional backgrounds, um, working moms, uh, non-technical. How, how did you kind of like begin to navigate this, this space? Yeah. Um, Where do you want to go? You go uh, sure. My advice is very short because we have such a short time and I can't even, and like, it's hard to fund. Right? I, so everyone says it's hard to fund. It is. But um, here's what I would say, practically speaking. Whatever product you have, get 20 customers, whatever, literally build a spreadsheet, do the lean startup, prove it to yourself, and then you sell the shit out of that story and you walk into an investor's office or angel, whatever, get your introductions, and you walk in there like you own the world. Um, and you just tell that narrative. You're like, hey, what are you talking about? Like, I just got started, and then you bluff. I got started four weeks ago. I just got 20 signups overnight. This is what's happening. Like, this is going to happen with or without you. Do you want to be on it? Right? So I just, like, it is, I know it, look, it's, it's easier said than done, but, like, um, to like actually show that you can execute and you have swagger and you walk in there with confidence. Those are the three things that I would suggest. And I know that the fundraising um, cycle is, is more complex than that, 
But uh, if you're starting from the beginning, you're like, how do I get my first $50,000 or how do I get my first million? It really is like, it's just a matter of like, whatever you have is good enough. Plus when you, when you deal with storytelling and confidence, that's exactly what guys do. Guys do um, paper napkin deals all the time. Oh, is doing drinks. And then they give me a million dollars. That shit happens. So believe that you can make it happen too. Hmm. That's so good. I almost don't want to add to that because Shadia has given me advice throughout my fundraising journey. The one thing I'll say is I actually found, maybe this will help somebody. I actually found um, the first fundraise to be easier because you're just selling an idea, right? So um, the first fundraise that I did, um, I had a concept. I had a PDF mock-up of what the tool would look like. And that was it. And so I it had to be people who were on board with the vision and were okay with the mm -hmm. fact that there was no traction yet because I right. needed the money to build the product. Um, then, you know, when you raise like your next round, you're being judged on everything you've done between that first raise and then, and everybody has a different idea of what you should have done. And I would just say to Shadia's point, be confident, tell the story, however you want to tell it, um, make them, let them know basically that you're going to be moving forward regardless and that you would love to have them involved, but you also don't need them. Um, and I think storytelling is probably the most important thing. Um, even in that second round, because you're shaping that data that you have into a story. That's right. Yeah. Whatever. You can take whatever data you have and make it sound exciting. That is, <laughs> that is your job as CEO and as fundraiser. Mm -hmm. The other point that I'm picking up from Claire is kind of reflects on some of what we were hearing in the keynote earlier too about um, knowing your worth or at least putting up one of those, you know, cardboard box fronts like absolutely with or without you, I'm doing this. Um, and we heard a little bit about that in general in negotiating and signing contracts earlier. Um, and I know for the keynote, a big leap was moving from, oh, wow, the company's done me a favor to, hey, I got some stuff to offer. And, you know, right. let's talk about this. And I, I hear some of that coming from um, what you're saying. So we're almost out of time, um, which is very sad because I really enjoyed talking to you both. Is there anything else you want to quickly touch on before we wrap up here? You know, I, I just one thing because I, I find that when people share the actual stories, they're just gold because they just stick in there. When I went into YCOM, the idea of kids, it was it was pre anything and one of the and they were into the concept I was like the market's right the there's customer base we get it but they were like well why 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 are you here right now like why combinator like where's your traction why don't you come back next batch like with more and I literally said to them because I'm probably not going to need you then I will have already fundraised and the train will be too late for you <laughs> and that was it close them <laughs> so it, it's real <laughs> love that <laughs> um, thank you so much i really appreciate you both coming today uh it's been a really enlightening chat and i know we've had a lot of kudos and applause from um the chat in the session here uh folks have really enjoyed it i can just say for everyone um from here uh you can probably check out the networking tab on the side um and then jump back into the sessions tab for the next sessions which are running a little um, close to time. Some are running about five minutes over, but feel free to jump into the networking tab. And what you can do is click, and then it'll kind of like shake you up in a in a imaginary box. 
and match you with someone else in this Women Who Code event so that you can meet and chat um, about yourselves, about your work, about the sessions. Um, so thank you and thank both of you. Um, thank you everybody night. for tuning in. Yeah, thank you. This was so fun. You can reach out at Shadi at Kinside. I'm always open for questions and um, I'm here. I'm here for you guys. Yeah, same here. I'm Claire at allvoices.co, C-L-A-I-R-E. Great. Thanks so much. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Women Who Code podcast. To find out more about our mission and the work we do across the tech industry, visit our website, womenwhocode.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Women Who Code. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel with hundreds of hours of free educational videos. Just go to youtube.com backslash women who code. Thanks again for listening. And remember to subscribe, rate, and comment.